only another man. Trying very hard not to say anything about a very odd reaction that happened the other day on a radio podcast over here. Did you see Power of the Dog? Did you watch that movie? Yeah, you want to talk about that piece of shit? <laughs> oh, no. You didn't like that one? <laughs> no. They're all running around in shaps and no shirts. There's all these illusions of homosexuality yeah. Yeah. throughout the fucking movie. Yeah. I think that's what the movie's about. Movie. And you say, this is the way it was. It's got you, this movie. So that's that can rub me the wrong way, pal. Beyond that reaction, that sort of denial that anybody could have any other than a heteronormative existence um, because of what they do for a living or where they're born, there's also a massive intolerance within the world at large towards homosexuality still, towards... Um, uh, an acceptance of the other, of any kind of difference, and no more so, I guess, in this prism of conformity, in the sense of what is expected of a man, in in the sort of um, the Western archetype mold of masculinity. And so, I think to deconstruct that through filter to look at that, it's not a history lesson. These people still exist in our world, and whether it's on a doorstep, or whether it's down the road, or whether it's someone we meet in a bar or a pub, or I don't know, um, in a sport, on the sports field, there's, there is aggression and anger and frustration and an inability to control or um, know who, who you are in that moment that causes damage to that person. And as we know far, far more openly now, as I was saying, damage to others around them. Hello, hello, and welcome to Killer Casting. It is that time of year again, folks, or as I like to refer to our two listeners, Marty and Myrna, it's time once again for the Oscar Schmoskers. So if you listened, if you two listened to us last year, we did an Oscar Schmoskers episode, and you know from last year that I, your host, Lisa Zambetti, am heavily conflicted about this award. I kind of have a hate-hate relationship with it sometimes. But now, dear friends, now that I'm actually a member of the Academy, mm-hmm. I kind of feel <laughs> I feel it's my duty. It's by my solemn oath to uphold truth, justice, and American cinema that I've got to contribute in some kind of positive way to this shite show of a ceremony because it should have much more of an earnest meaning than it does. And we're going to do that tonight, folks, because we're going to be handing out not the Oscar, but the Zammy. I mean, joining me today... (laughs) Not not that it's all about you. You know, heaven forbid. Uh, joining me today once again this year to break it all down, my wingman, the wonder from down under, Dean Laffin. Say hello. G'day, mates. And also joining us, he is the savant of the cinema, my Luke. dear friend. <laughs> and co-producer of children. And co-producer of children, Paul Francesca Sullivan. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I have uh, continued my uh, every year. I'm told that the Oscars are dumb and every year I obsess over them. The Oscars should do what baseball should do, which is cater to their hardcore fans. Don't try to please everyone. Make the hardcore fans happy 
and therefore other people like that infectious, ooh, that, they seem to be having fun. I want to have fun with them and stop trying to have it be a feathered fish for everybody. Show the categories, show the glamour, show lots of clips, right. wheel out some old stars. That's what you want to see. And even though like the idea of, it used to be one of the few times you actually saw celebrities hanging around and now you could see them every minute, you know, cooking omelets on TikTok. TikTok. It's, it's, it should be a night of seeing Beautiful, glamorous people. I do the in memoriam for baseball every year. We need to have some things that you know, pull the heartstrings, some great clips, and inevitably show Gene Kelly dancing on the light post, which is, by law, needs to be included in every single montage, including a montage of great moments of Korean cinema, ends with Gene Kelly dancing on the lamppost. Anyway. So look, I know I'm being critical and I'm being cynical and sarcastic. I, I do, I want to love the Oscars and I want them to not have some of the agendas that they have in the past. Anyway, that said, and we're not going to get into what we talked about last year, Paul, about how I can't parse, like, how do you know what is best picture as opposed to best director, blah, 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 all that, all that stuff. What we're going to do tonight is talk about something that my world has been lobbying for for many years, and that is to have a best casting category to honor the casting of these films. And it's a long time coming. And actually, weirdly enough, the president of the, the film academy is a casting director. <laughs> so it's kind of odd that there isn't... Oh, what are the odds that it happens now? Yeah, well, he has to be obviously very careful about the politics of all that and, you know, what he can do and can't do and lobby for and can't lobby for. Anyway, but on tonight's show, this show, we can give out a best casting Oscar or Zammy, as I'm calling it. And our nominees are going to be all the nominees for best picture. So I want to look at these nominees and talk about the casting and what kind of criteria you might need if you were going to hand out a best casting Oscar, because it's very, it's, it's tricky. It's much trickier than people might think what that criteria criteria would be. What it want you to take a, take a shot at talking about what would be the criteria for a best casting Oscar? Here's what I'll say. Okay. I'll say that there's several films that came out this year that were best picture nominees that had large ensembles. Some of them unknown actors, some of them unfamiliar to me, and some that had to fit specific criteria for the movies. And some of them played off of movie stardom and used the, the baggage that movie stars had with them and used them to great effect. Some were filled with people like, I don't know who these people are, but man, I believe them. Mm -hmm. And there have been, there's one specific film which used movie star baggage very, very well for some of the super famous names in it, used people like the children of famous people yeah. or singers or, wait, is that, you know, throughout the film? Hey. Specifically, Licorice Pizza for that one, which I just watched today. Did you just say specifically? Probably. Okay. And I think that you've seen that. That's where you are. I mean, you are there on that coast, right? You're not East Coast. Right, right, right. You did. You did see that film used. Like there are two very big movie stars in that film. Yeah. Smaller roles, and they use their stardom for a specific purpose in that film. Yeah. Uh, don't Look Up is filled with some of the biggest names in Hollywood, and they use the baggage of those stars 
it's you know some of them are huge movie stars, some of them are really respected actors. They use the baggage that all of them carry with them very, very well. You had Dune, which I think made a critical error of casting a lot of people who look alike <laughs> on Arrakis. And so like, here's a different race of people who look exactly <laughs> like Oscar Isaac. There is some problematic casting in Dune, a film I happen to like. Not everyone has to look like Jason Momoa slash Oscar Isaac slash Javier Bardem. Well, I think some of us can discern the difference between those gentlemen. But anyway, Marty and Myrna, listen, for somebody who claims he was not prepared for this episode, damn, Sully, you really have articulated it so, so well. I'm a savant. About how... And I'm the idiot, just so the world please. (laughs) How to really thoughtfully thoughtfully think about casting thought you know be thoughtful about how you consider casting criteria. so casting is a collaboration obviously it's not just the casting director that does the casting it's a it's a team effort sometimes it, there's consternation in that effort and capitulation but it's a team effort and so as we go through each of these films and talk about the, the attributes of their casting, I think you've hit it right in the head. But for me, we're, we're comparing apples to orangutans, as I like to say. It's almost impossible to compare these films to each other and try to come to an equation that feels equitable and fair, right? Because they're, they're, as you say, there are so different. Some are sprawling and some are teeny tiny little mumblecore type films. But what I would say is some of the criteria would be the difficulty of the roles. Like how, what was the difficulty in finding the actor who could play this role? That it's not just, as we used to say in the theater, it's not just a play about me, our apartment and our problems and on our couch and our white lives or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's roles that are very challenging to cast. What was the level of difficulty in achieving the story through the casting? Were there unusual casting choices, casting outside the box, um, casting for authenticity, reinventing someone, as you said, that you'd never seen do, you know, relying on the laurels of a certain star and seeing them pivot away from that? Was there discovery? Was there reinvention? All those things. And was there chemistry? I mean, you may have like had a slam dunk with one role, but did the rest of the world not fit together? The rest of the the actors not quite fit in the same world. So you kind of think about all of that and somehow you come to a conclusion on what might be the quote unquote best cast. And, and like, I, like I was saying, it's not just the casting director, it's the relationship that the director has with the actors that got them aboard. It's the money behind, it's the budgets um, that may have attracted certain actors and it's very challenging you know it's what you could have one script you could have the script and it's a beautiful wonderful script but it could have a multi-billion dollar budget and you'll get one cast and then a nothing budget and the same script will get a different cast and is that fair you know can you compare the lobster to the peanut butter and jelly sandwich Oh, I thought you meant The Lobster, the film with Colin Farrell that came out a few years ago. Yeah, I I missed that. Did that get re-nominated or (laughs) re-released? Well, just, I mean, to to, Dean, I swear I'm not going to step on you here, but like this is what you were saying about comparing apples to orangutans is one of the great sort of conundrums about the Oscars in general. I mean, I'm just going to go back to 1975. Compare these five films. These were, were only five Best Picture nominees. They were Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, 
Nashville, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Those are five slam dunk movies, and they don't have a thing to do with each other. Mm. You can't get a more diverse five groups than that, mm. or I guess, I mean, diverse in terms of subject matter. I mean, they're all whiter than the National Hockey League, but they're the <laughs> types of films that they were were so different. And that's kind of the, that's always been the weird challenge of the Academy Awards. So where I live, one minute it's raining and the next minute it's 80 degrees and the trees and plants in my yard start going crazy, which makes my nose, throat and eyes go crazy with all the pollen. But luckily for me, I have gotten relief from the good folks at Plantiva and their natural proprietary formulation of herbal extracts called Allerdx. I mean, I was sneezing and sniffling about to go into a Zoom meeting but I took an Aller DX and in 10 minutes, I had immediate relief. I mean, it was really something. So Plantiva is a family-run business and I have had the pleasure of meeting the Morrisseys, Dr. Steven and his wife, Jenny. And let me tell you, they are the real deal. I am really enjoying the products that they've had me sample. So you can try them yourself. Go to plantiva.com slash killercasting for your exclusive discount code. So Dean, did you have you seen all of the best picture nominations or, ne- or no? No, I haven't seen all of them. But something that you uh, that Paul, well, both of you touched on already, and and look, when you look at that list of of nominees, and uh, I just was reading something the other day that was talking about visual effects, and saying that you, when you look at the movies nominated for visual effects this year, but same for every year is that there are visual effects that are meant to look spectacular and to look unworldly, you know, the likes of Dune and so forth. And then there are, there's other incredible work that's done in visual effects that are almost meant to be invisible, right? And and y- you could talk about uh, your boy uh, Fincher, Lisa, with mm-hmm. uh, Mindhunter. And there's a little, if you go onto YouTube, folks, and you look up something like Mindhunter, Fincher, special effects, unnoticed or, or, or uh, invisible special effects, something like that. And it does this little slider of before and after. The yeah. Movie. That the visual that. effects guy do on that. And you don't even know that you're looking at a shot that is heavily comped. And so how do you compare the visual effects and the subtlety of getting something like that right compared to something where you've got an explosion and, you know, an explosion that looks like an explosion, which as we know, you know, didn't always, wasn't easy to do. And so linking back now to best picture and casting and you go, well, okay, you've got a really tight casting um, call, I suppose, Lisa, for something like Coda. Uh, particularly where you're casting deaf actors in in deaf acting roles, uh, as as happens today, then to something that's got a cast of thousands like June Paul, as you said, and then everything in between. And and then what about where you need to cast someone who needs to be that person, King Richard, right? So right. so you got to find somebody who's going to actually live that role. And you could say the same thing, by the way, for um, you know for his performance in King Richard as you could for Ali, and so those kinds of roles, and then. You know, you've got something again very tightly cast, but where the casting is critical, I would I would suppose. Listen to me talking like I know about casting, Lisa, but, but something like Power of the Dog, right? Where every because so much weight is carried by each of those individual small individual characters in a very small cast. I suppose mm-hmm. the weight of getting every single one of those casting 
decisions right is much, much heavier than if you've got a wide ensemble cast. If it's West Side Story and something's not quite right on one of the, you know, 32 characters, it's not going to kill the film. But whereas, so I guess that's my feedback is that I guess I've got a new appreciation for looking at that list with the with the days and days of research that I've had on this. <laughs> well, let's think- read through the the nominees real quick. And okay. and I want I'm going to read the names of the casting directors because they never get shouted out. So so we have Nightmare Alley casting by Robin D. Cook, who is kind of wonderful because she's a Toronto or she's a Canadian casting director who normally just gets credited as Canada casting by but she's collaborated with Guillermo del Toro a number of times, including The Shape of Water. And now she's actually getting the full casting credit. So in our world, that's that's really great. Okay, so Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, casting by Francine Maisler. Dune, also casting by Francine Maisler and Gina Jay. Drive My Car, which weirdly enough does not have a single credited casting director. It's got a lot, it's got like five six, seven, eight, nine, ten casting cooperation. So this is kind of interesting. I'm not quite sure who to credit. Anyway, Belfast, casting by Lucy Bevan and Emily Brockman. Licorice Pizza, which is credited as, as casting by the great Cassandra Kulukundis, but pretty much was cast by Paul Thomas Anderson, the director. Um, Power of the Dog, casting by Carmen Cuban, Nina Gold, Nikki Barrett, and Tina Cleary. West Side Story, cast by the great Cindy Tolan. And Coda, cast by the wonderful Deb Aquila, Lisa Zagoria, Trisha Wood. And then we come to King Richard, cast by the legendary A.V. Kaufman and Rich D'Elia. Okay, so those, those, I mean, I look up to all of those casting directors, they are so incredible and have been responsible for some amazing discoveries. But I just sort of like to talk just quickly through these films and just kind of get like a, you know, kind of a bullet list on what we think of the cast. And I think one point that uh, it's interesting to drive my car is the one film in there that doesn't have a head casting director credited. Uh, And yet, that's the only film of the 10 that features a extensive casting scene in the movie. There's <laughs> right. a big uh, audition and casting scene and who you cast in the play within the movie is a critical part of that story. You know, the whole casting process and the main character not wanting to cast himself as Uncle Vanya and casting a much younger person to play Uncle Vanya and the whole casting process is a very extended part of that movie. It's odd that there was no one casting director nominated for that one, but it's a very good movie, by the way, Drive My Car. Very, very kind of hypnotic movie. It takes its mm-hmm. it takes its time, but it's a, a very guarded emotional film and requires having a lot of actors who aren't necessarily demonstrative Mm -hmm. to convey a lot of emotion. And one of them is actually mute in the film. I don't know if the actress is mute in uh, real life, but um, has to, she has to convey a tremendous amount of compassion, humor, warmth, guardedness, all without speaking. Right, right, right. But let's start. You know, so Nightmare Alley, I mean, this is like a big flex with this cast, right? You got all these A-listers, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rudy Mara. I mean, Mary Steenbridge and David Street. There are so many 
big, you know, heavy hitters. And I, I've watched part of the movie, I haven't watched the whole thing, but they seem to be playing, you know, I don't know, what, what would you call this casting? What would you call this cast, Paul? By the way, there's, there's several actors who have appeared in multiple Best Picture nominees this year, including Ron Perlman uh-huh. right. um, and Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. Um, it just seems like this is a, when you have a director like Guillermo del Toro and you get a chance to be on a project like this, you can really, it's like everybody's a first round pick. Mm-hmm. And so you can, whoever your first choice is. Now, obviously he has worked with some of these actors before. Richard Jenkins was was excellent in um, Shape of Water. Shape of right. Water, thank mm-hmm. you. And this is a film that's produced by Bradley Cooper. So you, you get the sense that he was spearheaded, but actually uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was originally- Right, I think they just threw him picture. a producer credit. I mean, so, yeah. But in this way, you know, when you go down the line and you have a Tim Blake Nelson in a small supporting role, you can bring in an Oscar winner like Mary Steenburgen. You can bring in when you bring Ron Perlman and you know you're not having a subtle cast. Who's going to have you have to what when Willem Dafoe is the second strangest face in the film? Uh, you know, you're you're casting for certain vis- striking visual types as well. And yeah, I, I mean, this this film has got huge auspices. You have a huge director, a decent budget, $60 million budget. You know it's just going to attract top-tier talent. I mean, if Leonardo DiCaprio was the first person that they wanted for Bradley Cooper's role, you know, this is going to be the creme de la creme. And that's great. Th- these are the roles that you would expect from right. this caliber of cast. It's kind yeah. of like, and, and Dean, I'm not, I swear I'm going to shut up in a second, but it's kind of like when you see a not this year's Spielberg film, but like in a lot of recent Spielberg films, like like The Post or Lincoln or Bridge of Spies, where like especially Lincoln, there's people who have like two lines in the film are an extraordinarily well-known actor. So the casting director says, Steven Spielberg's making a Lincoln film, and every human being on the planet wants to be in it. You almost wish they tried a little harder, <laughs> you know, that, that, to go a little deeper instead of everyone's first choice in that. And I think this film and uh, Don't Look Up are just filled where everyone's first choice is at everyone's role. I mean, Timothy yeah. Chalamet has a blink and you'll, you know, it's a small role in the film. And I'm sure everyone was the first choice. Now, in that film, they happen to use the the baggage that the different actors brought to the role in order to, you know, they played off of their baggage. Yeah. So I think this is probably one of my favorite roles that Leonardo DiCaprio has done. I mean, I loved seeing him as this befuddled in over his head, you know, scientist, this bookish guy. I thought it was fantastic and a brilliant reinvention of him. And it's hard to say whose idea that was, you know, I'm Francine and Adam, McKay have known each other for a long time, worked together for a long time. So I'm sure that those discussions, but then, you know, so what happens is a script, you know, once you have a script that's been greenlit, you give it to all the top agents, you know, CA, ICM, all that stuff. And you get a covering agent or you get an agent who's like, we want our person to be in this. And so you get pitches right away. You don't have to kind of go begging for for anybody. So it's just a different way of casting. 
But yeah, I mean, you have Mark Rylance, Jonah Hill, Tyler Perry. Yeah, again, I love when Tyler Ariana Grande. Right. <laughs> when Tyler Perry's used right in a films like he was in this, like he was in Gone Girl, I he he just he just really makes me laugh there. But yeah, I think it's like a very A list, A plus plus list cast for sure, and you I love think, it. Yeah, I think one thing that we can look at with both um, Nightmare Alley and with um, Don't Look Up, with them getting such like wildly crazy you know top picks there's a little weird elephant in the room is that uh studios aren't in the business of making oscar films the way they used to be there used to be a whole season of oscar movies that would be around christmas time there seemed to be the oscars seem to be more niche films art house films and foreign films because the studios are more interested in making the latest batman or spider-man film and so you saw a lot of the talent that would go make the Oscar films are making streaming series, making the Amazon series. And so when there is an Oscar film that's coming out, everyone's going to clamor towards it. I think you're going to see things like Netflix and Amazon say, hey, if no one wants the Oscars, we'll take them. But there's there's kind of a weird like it's a weird blurry line now, like which Netflix show is an Emmy winner and which one is an Oscar winner? They're both on my same device. Yeah, that's and true. I and I think that a lot of really creative people are turning towards the series because there's a little more. It's a little more. There's more freedom to them creatively instead of being confined confined to two or three hours. You can make a show where you can make it five, six episodes, ten episodes, one season, three seasons. And I think the creators of some of the really good shows now. I bet if you went to film schools. When I was going to film school, everyone wanted to be Scorsese or the Coen brothers or Spike Lee or Jim Jarmusch or whomever. And I bet now they all want to be Vince Gilligan. They want to be, <laughs> you know, they, they will now want yeah. to be showrunners. So when there is an Oscar film, like a film like Don't Look Up, Oscar winning director gets the pick of the litter. I do think a big reason is that, I mean, there used to be Oscar season was really between Thanksgiving and New Year's. That they're, they're trying to sneak them all in and so they'd be fresh in people's mind for the voting. But it would also be, it, they made big money, especially you're around the holidays. It's like, let's all go see Dances with Wolves. Let's all go yeah. see you know, The Prince of Tides or whatever big hit that came out at that time. That that was a whole, did you see, even recently, did you see La La Land? Oh, it was lovely. <laughs> and... Now, don't I, make why, fun of Myrna. Myrna is our loyal listener. Hey, we look, can't it, make I, fun of I loved Oscar season. That was one of my most favorite times, especially when you saw sometimes films just shot for the stars. Yours always going to be films that were obviously, we're going to push this for best actor. We're going to push this for best actress. And then there were some which were, this is a very important film that we're all going to love. It was interesting. It, they were films with grownups in mind. And now, now you have 12 months of it being the toy aisle and the the people who would have made, I mean, think about like in 1979, the biggest box office hit of 1979 was Kramer versus Kramer. That was, that was the blockbuster of that year. Biggest blockbuster of 1988 was Rain Man. You know, there were years where the big punk and, you know, like cultural uh, blockbuster were films with adults in mind. You know, A Beautiful Mind was a huge hit. I mean, you know, those are films that I don't necessarily think they were all should have won the Oscar, but they certainly were made with grownups in mind. And now there doesn't seem to be, uh, those seem to be, you know, especially, I mean, who knows how the post-COVID world is going to be because 
you know, people, grownups would rather watch the watch some of these films at home. You're not going to go risk yourself at a theater to go see King Richard. Well, let's get back to the whole casting of it all. So, Dean, June, June, as they would say down under. Mm. I, I think mm. the burden of casting this must have been overwhelming. Again, casting by Francine Maisler and Gina Jay. I mean, just to live up to the book and to not have the criticism with the original movie. I mean, this must have been such a huge, huge job. And I, I do know that Zendaya had to audition for it. And, you know, not everything was a slam dunk offer, although some of it was. And I think Timothy Chalamet, they had um, Denise Villeneuve uh, had him in mind for a long, long time before the film even went into production. But did you see Dune? I know that you were hot to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think yeah. of the casting? It's Of all the films to ask me about, it's kind of an odd one. Okay, number one, I don't bring in the baggage of the book. So I was never one of those guys, you know, like the Lord of the Rings that were holding their breath as many of my friends were. And indeed, so was my wife who read the books over and over. And she was like, mm, I'm really hoping that they get this right. So that burden that you mentioned of responsibility to the fans in casting, are we going to get the people that satisfy, that satisfy the people who've had images in their own head? It's ridiculous because everyone's going to have their own images. However, often there's a consensus that, yeah, they got it right. And I think Jackson did that with Lord of the Rings. Most people were pleased in the casting of that. So I don't know, although I, I, I can't speak for myself, but I know that people who are fans of the book have been pretty pleased with the with the casting in it. I do tend to roll my eyes a little bit when you see those big names pop up. So along the line that you were talking about before, Paul, that, you know, something like don't look up and it's got everyone's first choice and you just think, yeah, okay, um, that can work. Sometimes they confound expectations. Sometimes they just have to be themselves. Whether you can see past them in their roles, mm -hmm. right, their previous roles, that's sometimes less successful sometimes than others. And I think that if you've got a big uh, cast which does feature a lot of A-list actors that are known for many other things, the success of that probably comes down to the direction, I would imagine, and, and them transcending themselves. Uh, here's a weird example that's just popped into my head. Now, this is going way back. So, folks, this, this might not make sense to a lot of you. Um, if you know the actor Brian James, um, uh, as in B-R-I-O-N, fantastic very memorable sort of character actor. And, you know, he was in Blade Runner and um, he, he was in the, the Fifth Element. And when you wanted someone like that, you cast Brian James, right? In the same way that you, when you want a Ron Perlman guy, you cast Ron Perlman, ideally. But he he was cast in The Player. I think that was like 92. Yes. And he uh, played this really off type he was the studio head. He was polished. Mm -hmm. He was he was he was like a, a powerful, you know, sort of really well groomed and 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 sleek executive type, which was completely against type. And I was happily stunned about that, right? And so that can happen. And other times you just see, oh, it's Jason Momoa, but he's not wearing his underwater suit. He's got you know this other suit on. Uh, right. You know. So in answer to your question, I enjoyed the film, Lisa. I don't. I didn't really, well, I've only seen it one time at the cinema. And so I think Chalamet was well cast. I think some of the parts could have been interchangeable. So I, I, it's not one of those films where I go, you cannot imagine anybody else in that role for me 
he wasn't one of those films. I'm sorry. I just want to just butt in for mm-hmm. one quick thing here because I am someone who grew up reading the books over and over again. And I remember when the Lynch film came out, I have a weird love-hate relationship with the, the Lynch film because I know it's not a good film. And yet if it's on, I'm watching it from beginning to end. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think the Lynch film did extraordinarily well was casting it. The actors in it, there are so many actors, so many weird name actors uh, and Sting, Sting is probably the, was the most recognizable actor for American yeah, audiences, mean, right? But when you saw, like, okay, you have this, the the three characters who are like the counsels to Paul. You have you know, the Kyle McLaughlin at the time. You had Patrick Stewart. You had Freddie Jones, and you had Dean Stockwell. Three actors who looked very, very different. Richard Jordan. You know Kenneth McMillan. You know Helen Hunt. You had people who all looked very, you know, very Brad Dourif, Sting, you know, Jose Ferrer, all these people who had very distinct looks to them. I'll never know how to pronounce the the German actor, Jürgen Prognau, I think as he was from Das Jürgen, Boot. Jürgen Prognau. Jürgen Prognau, who was Jürgen the captain Prognau. in Das Boot, which is one of the best movies of the das 80s, oh. plays Duke Leto Atreides. And Sean Young, I mean, I like the look of the cast and that they are very distinct. Even if you get a little confused, which one is that? Oh, it's the bald dude. Yes, it's the bald dude. If I hadn't memorized the book and the characters, I would be like, wait, which one is Javier Bardem playing? Which one is Jason Momoa playing again? Wait, okay. Oh, no, no, no. That's actually Dave Bautista. Oh, wait a second. So um, this is where I say the, the casting helping to move the story along. Mm-hmm. This is this is part of their criteria, you know, that I'm talking about. I thought I thought that uh, I wish that not everyone had dark hair and you know, I wish they I wish they made the Fremen one all one race and like the, the people from the different planets like all kind of uniform so you can kind of they they all the characters from the different planets all started looking like they were from the same planet which i think was an odd thing i had no problem with any individual casting mm-hmm. decision in the film stellan skarsgård was inspired to play the super fat mm. baron harkonnen uh josh brolin as gurney halleck and charlotte rampling Playing the oh. the Reverend Mother Mohayim, who had the scary role with with Paul's hand burning up in the box, but like as a whole, I think individually each decision was great. As a whole, there wasn't enough variety in just the the visual look of the actors that for such a unique story, I think this desperately needed that. Right. Well, this um, Dune had a budget of one hundred sixty five million dollars so with that is a substantial budget to be able to get you know anybody you want and certainly of course the special effects needed that all right folks we've covered some ground there but we've got plenty more to cover that's our first episode of the oscars down but don't go back we'll be right away with part two coming up you can't wait can you neither can we Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at choicevoiceproductions.com. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood Legends Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting out.